You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I printed mine. (laughs) I printed your notes. I already know you're smarter than me and better prepared than me. You don't need to rub it in. I'm just more nervous than you. I feel like who art Ed? Try to slice it. Who art Ed? Mr. Wood, art Ed, me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. I thought it's a great start. Welcome. In every episode, we are going to look at art in three parts. In situ, where we're going to look at the context in which it was created. In gallery, where we're going to have a discussion closely examining one specific masterpiece. And finally, in studio, where we will share our takeaways. Today, Mrs. Kime and I are going to be looking at the artwork of Tommy Watson. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now for our in situ segment. It just gives us some context. It's about the artist and where this came where this all came from. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about Yanima Picarli, Tommy Watson. He's commonly referred to as Tommy Watson, but the his given name at birth was Yanima Picar- Picarli. Um, Picarli? Maybe Picarli? Could be. I don't know. Unfortunately, I am not an Aboriginal person and cannot pronounce names correctly. I do know that is uh, a name that was given to him referring to the place where he was born. And then he gradually became known as Tommy Watson when he was adopted by his father's cousin, um, who had the surname of Watson. And I think Tommy was like a nickname. He was born around 1935, and he died just recently in 2017. Um, early in his life, he was trained in traditional skills needed for the sort of traditional nomadic life in the desert, hunting, making tools, finding water, things like that. And he lived that traditional nomadic style, uh, learning the ancestry and the stories of his people. Um, He is known for his great sense of color. And he creates abstract compositions, which when I was learning about Aboriginal artwork, I always learned about that style of like dots and stuff like that. And I always looked at the common symbols that you see. But one of the things that I learned in researching this is that a lot of those symbols are sort of sacred from Dreamtime imagery. Are you familiar with Dreamtime? I am, yes. So the Dreamtime is the Aboriginal's theory of how the world kind of came to begin. Um, And their, their source of the dreaming was Ayers Rock or Uluru in Western Australia. 
maybe we should trade roles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and so one of the things about the, those dreamings is um, originally sort of the way that we came to see those dreaming symbols from like dream time paintings and everything like that, that's a relatively recent thing. I think that we even know the name uh, Jeffrey Barbin in 1971 noticed that when Aboriginal men were telling stories, they would draw symbols and things like that in the sand. And he encouraged them to start painting those symbols onto canvas to make them permanent. And so really the art market for Aboriginal paintings is really only about 50 years old at this point. Um, but <laughs> it is the longest running um, artistic movement and style because the oldest Aboriginal paintings that we can still see on rocks are dated over 20,000 years ago. Wow. And that has continued in the traditional style through the present. Aboriginal artists are still making those Dreamtime paintings and those same sacred symbols. Um, and I do want to point out, I said sacred. And that is one of those things that, when I learned about this, made me feel a little bit uneasy about some of the Aboriginal artwork that I've looked at and appreciated, because a lot of the Indigenous people um, who created those paintings were also criticized for sharing a little bit too much of their culture, because a lot of those symbols come from sacred rituals that have to do with how they passed down their stories of their ancestry and their cultural traditions from generation to generation, because there was no written language for the Aboriginal people. Mm -hmm. What I like about Tommy Watson, especially more as I look at this, is he makes paintings that seem very clearly Aboriginal style with all of the dots that we know about, like that we associate with the work. Mm -hmm. But his work is abstract, and he doesn't include those symbols. Yeah, He said he tries to paint uh, stories so that others can learn and understand his culture and his country, but he is not including the sort of sacred icons and imagery that would be um, sort of crossing a line to a lot of people. I also thought that was really interesting. Um, and even the fact that a lot of Aboriginal people believe that when these sacred symbols and, and artworks are shown to people who are not part of the culture, it could bring harm or yeah. premature death onto people of the Aboriginal culture well, for it, showing those Well, it's sort of a taboo. Symbols. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's associated with really the origins of their civilization, the ancestral spirits and creation. Mm -hmm. You can see where to them that would be something that is very sacred. Yeah. When um, we study Australia in second grade and we talk about the Aboriginal arts and the, the dot technique that's used, a lot of the artwork that we look at that's in the books that we use, that's in the websites that we use, all focus on animals and scenes around Australia that you might be familiar with, like Ayers Rock, you know, things with kangaroos. When we see didgeridoos and how they're uh, decorated, a lot of times they're decorated with animals in that same style. So learning that actually this art form was more about you know, those those sacred beliefs and those sacred stories to the Aborigines was a very different spin than how I'm used to seeing this type of art. Well, and, and, and in all fairness, it is also communicate. I mean, it's it's visual communication in some ways. And and it is passing on those stories from generation to generation that are important. But it's also passing on knowledge and lessons that might be important and, and sometimes um, information that could be more sort of 
fundamental and necessary for survival in a hunter-gatherer sense mm, of the term. True. Very true. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Now for our in-gallery segment, we're going to have a discussion looking more carefully at one piece. So today we're looking at the painting by Tommy Watson, Nagura Polka. Uh, It's from 2005. So right off the bat, what jumps out to you about this piece? I think, like you mentioned, his his use of color is very striking. There's the really bright and bold red and this really deep, watery blue. Um, and then there's kind of this also vibrant pink in there. And that really that really struck me. And the way that he's done this, you kind of see the dots in the pink, but the blue and the red is so uh, close together and so exact that it's it's really hard to see that specific technique in there. I wonder how big this this piece of art is in real life. I love that you're making me work for this to get the <laughs> dimensions of the piece. So this piece is about 43 and a half inches by 78 inches. So it's a little bit over six feet, uh, six feet wide and just under four feet tall. So quite a bit bigger than your computer screen. It's a pretty good size. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you know, as you said, like the colors in this are what really jump out at me. Like the, the colors to me, there's this vibrance to the colors that is, it's almost like painful to look at, like, because that's such high contrast yeah, between like, between the sort of like magentas and the reds and the blues, which, it, you know, it's like, it's near opposite colors that are put next to each other and repeated over and over again. It's got a little bit of an op art feel to me. So what do you think of this painting? Like, you know, we've described what we see here, but like, what is the feeling or idea that comes through to you? What do you think of it? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? I, I do like this piece. I, there's kind of a, a double-sidedness to it. I, I love like the, the deep blue of it. I feel like that blue is so calming, but yet those other pinks and reds are just so bright. It just seems very lively to me. Um, and I think the, the striping of it, too, kind of gives it a very fluid feel. Um, I don't know that this would necessarily be something that I would choose to put on the wall of my home. But if I were out at a museum or out 
observing artists at work and were to see something like this, it would definitely make me stop and look a little bit longer at it. Yeah. And I kind of agree to, to some extent. Like I, I think this does strike me. It would catch my eye because it is so bright and vibrant. Um, to be honest, I really cannot overstate how much I dislike 90% of this piece. Like his sense of color is fantastic. Um, I'm not a fan of the the overall like horizontal nature of it. Like everything is more or less going the same direction. Mm -hmm. And I like movement that kind of is a little bit more varied. And the other thing is, especially considering the fact that he was trying to convey, like he he said his purpose was to convey the stories of his people and and, and the, the country and the land and everything like that, which I think is a very significant purpose. I don't see it. I don't like art where I have to research about it to be able to make sense of it. I feel like if you're trying to communicate a message, there should be enough there for us to to connect to to piece it together. Like I as I look at this, I can't figure out a message beyond, you know, I see a little bit of a general feel. The tone is you you described the mood of the piece and I I would fully agree with that that mood, but I don't see much more on the surface. So to me what this made me think of was some of the background knowledge that I have um knowing that a lot of Aboriginal people live in Western Australia where it's, it's mountainous and it's sandy. I'm almost seeing like, you know, hills and, and ranges at, at sunset, which is where I see the dark colors is like shadow. Um, and the, the reds are the, the sandy dirt that's out there. And so to me, maybe this is, you know, if he was trained in the nomadic way, this is kind of home. I think that's an accurate read, and my understanding is a lot of the pieces that do have uh, titles, uh, it's referring to a location. Mm. A lot of what he is doing is landscape-based. I just just feel like if I can't see, like if I have to research it, if I have to find the information from another source, Mm -hmm. I feel like as a work of visual communication, it's it's lacking something. You know what I mean? Like when I read a book... I don't have to read another book to understand what the author was talking about, unless it's like James Joyce, because nobody knows what he's talking about. Um, Well, and part of it, too, makes me think, I I know that he wanted to share his culture with others without kind of stepping on the the sacred artworks. Maybe he's encouraging you to go and find out more, to learn more about his culture. Maybe he wants you to take that extra, that extra Google. Yeah, so it's, it's... it's sort of the hook to bring you it in. Is. It's just like he he knows people are distracted by bright, shiny things. <laughs> and this is I mean, like, but the vibrance of those those paints, it is almost like the high contrast. It, it sort of is messing with the the cones in your eyes. And so it does have this vibrant yeah. effect to it. Um, there's there's almost a glow to the paint because of the the juxtaposition or the way he placed certain colors side by side with those dots. And that is something that I really do appreciate about it. I I really do appreciate that good sense of color. And the way that he applied it, it seems fairly easy to put like red and pink with blue, but to have that not turn purple or to have like contrasting colors that don't 
turn brown because when mm-hmm. you put like when you put opposite colors next to each other, it looks very bright and b- vibrant. But it, if they mix at all, it just dulls the colors and makes it look all very muddy. Yeah. Um, and he does a good job of making things that are very colorful and not at all muddy. So that's good. Um, I always like to wrap this up. You said this is something that you would not put in your home. Correct. Where would you put it? If you could take this out of museums and out of out of private collections, out into the world, into the wild, where should this painting go? I think um, that this painting, I don't know, is it, is, it too, is it too on the nose to say that it should go back to the deserts of Australia? It should go be out there with, with the sunset and the, the mounds of sand and the people where it came from. I think that's always a fair response. It's always fair and, and safe. It is safe. To a very loaded question, <laughs> especially as we talk about an indigenous artist. And, um, you know, sadly, not all indigenous artists were given the respect that, you know, Tommy Watson achieved international acclaim. But even still today, I was just reading an article about Australian Aboriginal artists who are being exploited by unscrupulous art dealers. But yeah, I, I think you know, always returning things to the land that it was meant to portray. Mm -hmm. Seems like a good idea. Um, I'm going to completely ignore the proper answer and just say something like, I think it should be in a hotel lobby or in an airport. I think it is because of the nomadic existence. I feel like it is something that should be sort of appreciated for a period and then people go on their way. You know what I'm saying? I like, think that's a great idea. There's a little bit of like, because because of the fact that like the tradition of sand paintings is being, like the drawings in the sand is being mm-hmm. a little bit ephemeral. I feel like it should be seen by a variety of people who are on their way somewhere else, not, you know, in a fixed place. And now for our in-studio segment. In-studio Think segment. about what strategies are working. Take it. Good Take artists. Take copy. Great artists. Just go ahead, steal this and art. make it your own. These are the takeaways. This is what you can apply to your own work. One takeaway I had was how the dot method can create a shimmering effect on the artwork. And that can be done with a paintbrush, could be done with a fingertip, or I know when we try and create art in this style in my classroom, we use Q-tips, which is something handy and easy to try on your own. Yeah, another thing you could use is like the back of a pencil. The eraser for the pencil can make a great stamp for nice, precise dots. The first takeaway that I would have is when you put contrasting colors next to each other, it creates a very bright, vibrant effect that is eye-catching. You just have to be careful that the colors are next to each other and not mixing, because if they mix, those contrasting colors will fight against each other. Um, the more you repeat opposite colors very closely and the closer they are together, the more it sort of overwhelms the cones in your eye and creates that vibrant effect. I also think that the way he showed the movement, as you said, in this piece to me is, is calming and very fluid. Um, but I, I see from your perspective how you're looking for, for more movement and, and different movement and how that can change perception of art. Yeah, and piggybacking on what you're saying about the movement in this seeming very calm and fluid, what I would point out is all of those lines, they're a little bit wavy. And sort of wavy and gentle curves like that help to convey more of a calming 
sort of feel to to a work of art. It feels sort of gentle and soothing because it's all just a gentle sort of curve or a wave to it. Um, oh, another takeaway that I had was, you know, even though this is not exactly my favorite piece, I do have a lot of uh, respect and admiration for the way he thought about how he could incorporate his style and the traditional style of his culture into making art for another audience without violating the boundaries and being respectful of people's attachment to the sacred imagery and icons um, that were a part of his cultural tradition. And I think, you know, it's always really hard to balance perhaps your personal desires for what you want to include in your work. Like basically being mindful of other people's feelings and what you include in your work. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it is something that is obviously very sacred in terms of the imagery and the way that icons have been used in rituals and passing down their cultural heritage. But I also just think in the classroom setting, when I have students, even something very basic like photography, just remembering not to take a picture of another person without their permission Mm -hmm. and thinking about the way that we're portraying other people and the way that all audiences will receive our work that we're creating. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I never know how to end these things. I should just be like, whatever, goodbye. This is, this is the end. <laughs> Podcast done. Podcast done.